Welcome to the Willie Nelson Podcast featuring Billy Bob Thornton and Mickey Raphael. On part two, Mickey breaks down his production process in creating Naked Willie and shares his personal insights into what makes Willie Nelson such a brilliant artist. When we live again When we live again Let's relive again The time that we know now I'll find your face again So, now, Mickey, um, one of the things that's again. really interesting to me is, you know, m- producing a record. Uh, so here you are producing a record that's already been done. Mm-hmm. So, so as opposed to something that comes from the ground up, you're taking something and reshaping it in, in a way that Willie wanted and that you wanted. So w- when you did this, did you go through, uh, did you just sit down and listen to all the songs first, just listen to them, see which ones kind of fit the bill? And uh, what exactly uh, did you take out and did you enhance anything? And uh, I'm asking a lot of things at once here, but another thing I'm, I'm really interested in is uh, why is it that that stuff sounds better? I mean, we, we know it does, but what is it about songs when they're stripped down to their bare bones that makes them them better and uh, in this process uh, you know you're taking these uh, you're taking these songs that are pretty lavishly produced and uh, did, did you ever go to Willie and say hey is it cool if I do this or did you just do it and then hand it to him the way I picked the songs I picked about 50 there were 50 songs that during that time period that I thought were produced in the, with the Nashville sound. So the way we picked the songs is we put everything up, we listened to every song. And the first criteria was, can we get rid of the, can we just push a button and make the strings go away? Some of them we could later, in the later years, like closer in the 70s, where the strings were overdubbed, recorded separately than, than on recorded maybe another day or in the afternoon other than when Willie recorded so uh, they weren't all in the same room at the same time we could just hit mute and the strings would disappear now the early years from 66 on which was most of the songs really um, everybody was in the same room together so the strings were leaking into Willie's vocal mic and if, if we couldn't erase that uh, a lot of the songs they went to the piano mic or the bass mic so I called the bass player Bob Moore and said, if we have to erase your bass to lose these strings, can you help us out on that? He said, I still have the same bass. You know, I still, I still got the same upright, and I can come in and overdub. And I thought, well, that is still defying what I want to do. I don't want to do any overdubs on this. I want to use the original track. I just, because that's what I want to say was the original performance. So that narrowed it down from 30 to, I mean, from 50 songs to maybe 15 songs that we could actually get in physically and take the strings out without compromising the other musicians. Because I could have overdubbed, you know, instruments all day long, and then that's kind of a a moot point. And I told Willie my idea. I mean, Willie's got so many projects going. I said, look, I'd like to go in, take some of these tracks, strip them down, 
make it sound like uh, it would if you were producing. He goes, great, do it. So then I pitched the idea to the label and never talked to Willie about it till we were done and just played it. And when I first played it for him, he goes, well, what'd you do different? He didn't realize, he didn't remember that there were strings on it in the first place. He goes, I thought that's the record. I thought that was the original. I said, no. And then I played him the original with all the orchestration. And he got real quiet and real pensive, you know, and kind of teary and stuff. And he said, that's the way it would have sounded had I produced it. Wow. And we all cried and held hands and hugged. And, you know. <laughs> now, uh one interesting thing, since you did th take something that was already done, what I think is brilliant about doing that is what, something you referred to earlier, which is the fact that uh, you could re-record those songs. But if you but if you've ever stopped in a truck stop in the middle of the night on the road, and you go in, you and you and you buy a record. I'm not talking about you necessarily. Mm -hmm. Anybody, anybody who goes into a truck stop in the middle of the night, I do, buys, you know? and I do yeah. too. And and you you buy a record, you'll see a Merle Haggard record or a Willie record, cassette or, is, or a cassette, yeah, exactly. And, and it says his 16 greatest hits or whatever. And you go, oh, well, this will be great to have on the bus. You go in there and you buy it. And you put it in the player and you realize that they are re-recorded songs that they've done recently. And they'll maybe have synthesizers or keyboards. Like I've actually heard uh, Johnny Paycheck and George mm -hmm. Jones, people like that's records that they recut stuff. And it's just not the same. Mm -hmm. So I think what, one of the brilliant things about what you did with this is the fact that you did take what was done in that moment because usually the inception of something is as great as it's ever going to get. Uh, and uh, I mean, for the, that original creative moment and uh, to re-record something, you never really recapture that magic, I think. So the fact that you did it this way, I think is just a, I think a stroke of genius. And, and Willie Nelson needs to be heard this way, mm -hmm. I believe. And now earlier you, you referred to the Nashville sound, um, uh, which in these days and times, it seems that the Nashville sound uh, has become sort of really just pop music. And people think that just started, but really, mm -hmm. even back then in the 60s, that whole idea out of Nashville was to slick things up, you know, during mm -hmm. that during that period. And uh, so, if you if you could just talk a little bit about what you consider the Nashville sound, what they do to things that that maybe uh, causes people like you to do what you just did, <laughs> and they really right. created a monster. Yeah. Well, every they I think in the '60s, country music was known with its banjos and fiddles. And they wanted to get away from that and maybe cross over or appeal more to, to a, a more of a uh, wide stream or a, a bigger demo and, and more people. And I think they were trying to compete with Andy Williams, Perry Como, Frank Sinatra. So you had artists like uh, Ray Price, that was an incredible singer, um, that when they were producing him, they put strings on and he, he hit. I mean, he was like one of the biggest singers of the time. It, it worked. And so Chet Atkins, who was running RCA at the time, and was you know just a great producer, produced all the acts there on RCA. He, I think they, I don't know if he coined the phrase, but they called it the Nashville sound. His style of producing, where everything, every artist, had orchestra, orchestras backing them up, uh, and the Nita Kerr singers or whatever they did the most of them, whatever background vocals were you know singing with the artists, and that way country became more cosmopolitan. And it appealed to maybe your pop audiences or your younger crowds too. So uh, when Willie came around, came around his time to record, 
um, and he was a young artist just starting out. Um, Chet produced him, picked the songs. I mean, they love Willie's writing, and that's that's why this stuff works is because the song is there, the lyrics are there, the melody is there, and anything you do to it. I mean, it worked with the strings too, but. I really wanted to bring it down to its just basic minimum, just so the song, so song really stood out on its own. Um, and going through these things and stripping them down, I found some great playing by Chet, who played guitar, and Grady Martin, who was a great studio guitar player. So there were some great performances by the musicians that were otherwise covered up by all the sweetening, you know, that and uh, the heavy production that they were doing. And Chet. I didn't produce the record. Chet produced the record. But I thought, what am I doing here? I'm not, I can't call myself a producer. I'm unproducing. I'm taking stuff off where a producer would build the tracks. So I, I, I called myself an unproducer on uh -huh. this record. So. Well, during that process, did, did you, I mean, obviously you've been with Willie for so many years, but going back into that stuff, did you discover anything about Willie that maybe you'd never thought of before? Or was there something about him as a songwriter or singer or anything? that surprised you about what he was like in those days? Well, he was, you could tell he was a lot younger. I mean, his voice was a little, uh, a little higher pitched. Um, wasn't as rich, really. As I mean, I love his voice at that time, too, but his, his voice has really mellowed with age now. Um, and there was only one track that he played guitar on, and I asked him about that, and he said with Grady Martin and Chet and uh, Chip Young, all these great guitar players, he didn't want to bring his guitar out. But I did find one guitar solo on Sunday morning coming down that was that we really brought up in the mix. That was him playing. That wasn't originally. I think it was on the original tracks, but you just really couldn't hear it. So we brought all that out, and I brought all the guitars up and, and brought all the instruments up really, so you could really hear them. Even I mean the kick. I think the drums were mic'd with one mic overhead, but we tried to boost the frequencies of that kick so you could hear Buddy Harmon's you know drum. You know when I first listened to this record. One of the things I said to JD, uh, you know, my boxmaster cohort there, uh, I said uh, we'd listen to Sunday morning coming down. Uh, the, the two of us were listening down the record, and um, it got to Sunday morning coming down, which is toward the end, you know, of the record, and and I uh, I just noticed that guitar solo, the one you were just talking mm -hmm. about, and I said I said, man, Willie, uh, guys, you can just tell that sound when Willie plays guitar, can't you? And, and I said, but you know, he didn't have Trigger at the time. This is pre-Trigger, I believe. That Isn't one it? might, uh, if it was pre, if it wasn't, it was the first thing he ever did with Trigger. Oh. That was '68. He got Trigger in '68. Oh, okay. Well, it, it so it might have been the first. It might have been the very first time he played yeah, that it guitar. Been that. Because it's uh, the, the sound is unmistakable. But then when I told I told JD that. JD said, well, no, Willie doesn't play guitar on the record. I looked at the credits. I said, I don't know. You might want to check it out. And sure enough, he looked on there and, you know, Willie... Just that one song, that yeah. One song. Mm -hmm. uh, because his sound is so unmistakable when he plays guitar. On our final episode, Billy and Mickey talk about the songs featured on Naked Willie. To further explore the music of Willie Nelson, visit willienelsononline.com. Thanks for listening.
the park I saw a daddy with a laughing little girl that he was swinging. And I stopped beside a Sunday school and listened to the song that they were singing. Then I headed back for home and somewhere far away a lonely bell was ringing.